co-founder of Code Pink. Welcome to our Code Pink radio show that lays pathways to peace, presented by WBAI in New York City and WPFW in Washington, DC. Here we are at the end of 2020, our solstice, cultural and religious celebrations coming to a close and a new year about to begin. Today, I want to encourage you to take advantage of this weird time of shut in and shut down and stop and feel and listen. At Code Pink, we know that we cannot end war, militarism, racism, and imperialism until we end the war economy. That extractive, destructive, oppressive economy killing us, our communities, and the planet. We need to cultivate a peace economy to replace it. There is a peace economy. It is the giving, sharing, caring, thriving, relational, resilient economy that is the reason we are alive. But it continues to be starved, degraded, and crushed by the war economy. We can divest ourselves, our time, our talent, our money from the war economy and invest ourselves in creating a future that nourishes and cares for all life. Over the past few years, as we've been creating and cultivating local, local peace economies, there are a few things that I have seen to be true. First, those who make the shift are happier and more fulfilled. And second, the world comes alive. We don't understand how much being part of the war economy deadens who we are. So join me today with my guests, Severin Von Charner Fleming and Kelly Curry to learn how to plant seeds of peace. So I wanna welcome our next guest this morning, Severin Von Tarschner Fleming. Severin is the director of Greenhorns and has been an organizer and cultural worker within the Young Farmer Movement for 15 years. She's also the co-founder of the National Young Farmers Coalition, Farm Hack, and the Agrarian Trust. And she's a fellow board member with me at the Schumacher Center for New Economics. Her work has spanned so much media. I mean, they, she gets her voice out there on films and radio on, on blogs and guidebooks. Um, and anthologies and her new farmers almanacs, which are priceless. Um, and, you know, 
Severin has been an inspiration to me. And really, I call her the Pied Piper for the planet. She leads everyone back to what matters to the soil, to the earth. And um, we were talking this weekend and she came up with this delicious idea about planting for peace. And so I wanted to circle back and talk to Severin about, you know, where are we now as we talk about um, the importance of, of the ground, of earth, of the soil that nurtures us. Um, and since she was such an inspiration when I started um, to cultivate local peace economies. Welcome, Severin. Thank you, Jody. Such a pleasure to be with you as always. So tell me what you're thinking about now, Severin. You're, you're such a poet. And um, I think one of the things you said this weekend was that um, life is the only thing of value. Yeah, life, the only wealth is life. That wasn't me. It was, um, it was a great poet. And now I forgot who it is. But, um, you know, I think that the point is that there's a cherishing that is possible and available to all of us. And that peace is the sum of many small actions and many small insights. And, you know, I'm obviously been an organizer in the Young Farmers Movement for my career and I'm in contact with many, many young farmers around the country. And it's interesting to notice how many of us had mothers um, in the peace movement and mothers in the anti-nuke movement and um, who've been mentored by Buddhists and who are in connection with um, people who work for the benefit of all beings. And I think the there's the, a lot of consonants that we can, that we can easily attribute to this shared goal which is you know harmony with life harmony and and being together with life on earth and so in in when we were talking about you know you were talking about your peace gardens and it felt like that was very um that was very much a part of a practice of interpersonal peace that we can all be working on together and that peace is well in the same way that war is a you know a great balance and an expression of hurt or pain coercion empire um that holding holding on to peace is actually daily work and it's the daily work that all of us need to do and and to hold our part of the peace and and that is in being kind with one another that is feeling peaceful that is making peace with others that's sharing peace with those who may not be experiencing peace. And so obviously as a farmer and as a gardener, I know that um, farming and gardening are activities that bring peace that, you know, they say that the garden, the garden makes the gardener and, and the gardener is, is given the gift by the garden of great tr generosity and of great joy because it's the garden that makes the flowers. It's the garden that makes the vegetables. And the gardener becomes a, a steward and an accompanist uh, and a participant in that, you know, basically cr the creation of earth. So anyway, so when we were talking about, well, how do we help the humans who are now in this moment of time feeling many of us quite strained and stressed and aggravated and abraded by all this politicizing and cancel culture and violence and the fallout of violence and the threat of violence and the fear of violence, you know, how do we, 
how do we make more accessible the feelings of peace and from my perspective as a farmer and a farm person um, and garden person being in relationship with land is the fastest way I know um, to, to relate with peace. So um, we've joined up with One Billion Rising with V, uh, formerly Eve Ensler of V-Day, um, in what we call Rising Gardens, which is a defiant creative call for revival, restoration, and transformation. And, um, you know, here we are in the middle of so much that just brings grief and horror. Tell us what it feels like, Severin, when you, I know you use putting your hands in the soil to um, nurture yourself and to find that peace. What, what have you seen? What have you experienced as you look to the soil and to the earth? Um, I mean, you just told me you were covered in mud yesterday. What, what is that? Can you give us some insights into what, what it is that the earth has to give us that, that really is what is missing and, and what creates, what breaks our heart every day? Well, you know, the, the old saying goes, the earth is a community to which we belong. It's not, it's not separate from us. And I think part of this project of getting out of, you know, these dualities and, and frankly, vicious dualities, me versus them and us versus them and me, the individual and the environment is the other, you know, is actually retuning to our harmonic unity, the oneness of all, as Vandana Shiva would say, that we are all life and that the practice, the, the discipline, the, the daily behavior is to tune in, tune in with earth life and literally tune yourself to the vibration, the emanation, the communication of all of the little leaves that flicker and all of the little birds that hover and all of the small noises and small changes of all the creatures that are a part of the world that we share together. We are, it's all of our world. And it's a, it's a sign of respect to the creatures to tune in. And it's also um, a way to make our own soul come back into resonance, come back into reflection, come back into, into shared rapture, shared uh, enjoyment, shared observation. You know, it's not just good for your eyes you know, to look away from a screen. It's not just good for your happiness to lie on the earth in the sun and feel like a lizard. It's, it, um, I think it's actually part of our duty as sentient beings to be in right relationship with all the rest of creation. And, and that I think that in so doing, we become part of this greater magnetism that is way smarter than the internet, way smarter than capitalism, way smarter than the algorithms that want to box us into their anticipated commercial applications. It's um, that we become part of a great intuition. And I, you know, I obviously refer you to the wonderful humans who talk about these kinds of things and, you know, Pema Chodron and um, the wonderful woman who does the work that reconnects, what's her name? Oh, I love that one. Oh, her brain, my brain is loose, but that's maybe just because I've been rapping. 
But anyway, the, there's a wonderful book called The Work That Reconnects. And she explains that, you know, your own happiness, your own, your own soul journey um, is, is increased. Your power is increased. Your happiness is increased when you help, when you hold, when you share, when you express curiosity. And so that these are the behaviors and we're, when we're like rammed down by the news of the world, this is exactly the moment to reach out and help an elder, reach out and notice the flower, reach out and, and be constructive and help other people when they start getting negative to also remember to reconnect and rekindle. I think this is part of, this is a really critical part of, of peace and, and under discussed. So you're talking about Joanna Macy. Yes. Um, yes, when you say the work that reconnects. And she's definitely a part of cultivating a local peace economy and and has been core to us looking at that, you know, there's a great turning. And, you know, I would say 40 years ago when I started with her, she started talking about it. And and the local peace economy and divesting from the war economy is really an expression out of the great turning that that now you don't even need to be part of that that is destroying and extracting and oppressing, that there are so many ways that you can literally take yourself, your heart, your soul, your time, your talent, and invest it in cultivating local peace economies. So Severin, what would, if somebody decided to be um, planting for peace, what are some of the first things they have to do? What if I've never planted before? What, you know, I just feel overwhelmed. It's so much easier to be on the internet and having my fingers type across and look at a screen. And the fact that, you know, going even, I just like the concept of going out and planning for peace stops me in my tracks. Where, where would I start? Well, you would start when it's light outside. <laughs> And then you would go outside. And I think the first, I think the first part is, um, you know, noticing where you are. So a lot of the trackers, they'll talk about starting in your home at dawn and walking in a spiral around the place where you are, your home place, to discover all the creatures of the morning and, and the sounds and, and the birds and the trees and the flowers and the smells and which way is the wind blowing and is it warm and is there rain coming? So that's one of the practices they talk about. But basically, observation is phase one. And, you know, obviously, I'm going to go shooting straight towards, like, there's so much land that needs our care. All around us, we're surrounded by landscapes that are stressed out also from climate change and where human intervention could be of tremendous benefit for increasing soil moisture, increasing habitat for creatures, more pollinator places, more water catchment, et cetera. But getting to the place of intervention, I think slow, slow down, because first you have to know what you're doing a little bit. And um, that might look like helping. In the beginning, it might look like helping. And that means, you know, discovering, is there a community garden in my neighborhood? Is there a school garden in my neighborhood? Is there a farm in my neighborhood? Um, you know, is there a church in my neighborhood where there's already somebody outside, already somebody to talk to, already someone to engage in, and, you know, offering to help. And then, 
you know, but then there's lots of people who already know how to garden, who have a garden, who are gardening and who, whose garden really only extends to the boundaries of their private property that they own. And in fact, uh, the world is a place that is common to all of us. It is a gift to be here. We um, have constructed as a civilization these notions of, of real estate and private property. And um, we have financialized land and we transact land and we put up boundaries and things. But those are, of course, arbitrary human inventions. And the birds and frankly, the porcupines especially, they ignore our boundaries and they penetrate our boundaries and um, they they can their movements which are you know for instance the migrations of the birds I mean those are those are memories of millennia you know the ancient kelp forests uh, that have clung to the rocks on our coastlines those are those are a commons those are common to all and they have been there expressing their will in the world despite you know quite extreme connections i mean extreme uh, activity of the tide hitting the shore every day can you imagine and yet they hold fast and they persist and so that commons that that um understanding that we're all here together and our in the common land is our common fate that all of a sudden brings the veil of private property out from your eyeballs and you say oh that's just a chain link fence that's just an arbitrary temporary artificial construct that's been built here well it's also useful because you could plant a vine on it you could you could plant in your climate you could plant a passion fruit vine on it in other climates you could only do a hardy kiwi but um there are schoolyards there are churchyards there are cemeteries there are state parks there are highway medians um, there are neighbors' gardens. There are there are other people who have land who don't care for it and who very easily might be convinced to care for it. There are institutions and nonprofits who have land, like churches and you know environmental groups, um, little um, fraternal halls, you know women's clubs, girls and boys clubs. Um, there is actually very little between you as a person and the land that you'd like to care for. And usually it's just a couple of conversations with people with whom you need to, you know, A, show that you know what you're doing and B, um, help them to see what the potential is, what is what you couldn't imagine and what you could enact on the land. So why do you think, what makes, um, you know, the addiction to the computer and your cell phone and, you know, this thing that doesn't actually do anything um, except create us into uh, robots. <laughs> Why is that so much more attractive than the soil? Like, you know, it, it, it's in a very short period of time, we went from a majority of the people in the United States being farmers um, to a majority of people being um addicted to cell phones and computers. Um, what do you think, how do we find our way back to really to life? Because the war economy certainly takes us away from life. I think that's one of the things that I think you're the Pied Piper of, of just getting people for a little bit to step away from this thing that they don't even understand is stealing 
literally their life away from them and that, that it de it's deadening. What do you, what gets in the way? Do you, have you been able to see what would move someone from what they think is real life over to what is actually real life? Yes. Well, and then of course, we're not just talking about um, a little bit of entertainment here and there. I mean, if we're talking about agriculture, we're talking about, you know, taking a spiritual act and putting yourself uh, in a place where you are in service to the feeding of people, the caring of animals, the caring for land, you know, it becomes a total life world um, once you take the plunge into agriculture. Now, on a like daily, on a daily basis, the, um, the thing is that earth is animate. The screen and the Instagram, they, it reacts, you know, you put in your input and it reacts and it reacts really quickly. But earth is always doing her own thing and continuously and magnanimously and in, in every direction at once. Every day, the landscape is changing. Every day, there's new creatures that are showing themselves at different times in different places. So the 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 kind of unknowable quality of course is what makes people who are obsessed with natural history such fun to be around because then they just like oh my gosh and did you see the lizard and did you know that they migrate like this and did you know that the blood of the lizard interrupts the life cycle of the spirochetes that give you Lyme disease and did you know that the Bailey's pocket mouse is the only one that can chew through a jojoba seed and did you know that there were jojoba seeds planted all throughout the Mojave Basin in some kind of big oil boom to replace sperm whale oil in 19th and did you know and that quality of totally irresistible knowledge gathering that you will find among all birders and all tortoise gatherers and all uh, cactus collectors that is kind of the same little addictive pattern that many of us are are like siphoning into our computers but you can apply that same acquisitiveness um to to land practices number one number two there's a lot of us who are doing jobs and i think that that is probably very painfully aware uh, that's an awareness that is very painful to many humans who are right now either laid off or between or in a holding pattern or unsure or the industry's in crisis. And, um, you know, it's traumatizing, basically. And frankly, like even I and I get to farm, I get to organize, I get to make media, I get to, God, I have to do a lot of email. And I hate it. Um, how much computer time I have. But that pain and that real reality check and that like realization that we're all in is so valuable actually because now you have the challenge of saying well am i part of a peace economy is my life contributing to greater harmony on earth is my is my time my precious time on earth in some way constructive and you know, and that can mean so many things, obviously. And, you know, obviously I'm talking mostly about agriculture and, and land care, but there's so many other kinds of care that people express. But, um, you know, we basically have a lot of highly talented, highly ambitious people who've been engaged in things that are not necessarily their highest life calling, their highest life purpose, you know, their greatest service potential to the world. And for many reasons, many of them economic, Many of them 
the legacies of the colonial project, the legacies of dispossession and, and, not, and not having good access and not having good education. But even if you have good access and you have good education, there's still a lot of people who maybe in this time of darkness are figuring out, wow, you know, I'd really like to align myself more with what life on earth needs. I'd like to be listening more to what life on earth needs for me. And what does the river where I live need? And what do the animals that are endangered that are near where I live need? And how am I a part of that? Oh, that's beautiful, Severin. So that's some simple things you've given us to observe where we live, to find where we can serve, that we don't have to know anything. We can just show up and be there for someone who's already planting seeds so that we can learn. And that there is, a, you know, there is life that we want to be nurturing because we've learned if nothing else in 2020, what is essential and um, how far we have strayed from what is essential. Are there any other, um, before you leave, words of wisdom you want to drop on us of things we can be doing to plant seeds for peace? Well, I think and you can be in relationship and that's called building community, building relationship, being together, being a team, joining with one another and creating a greater force for good. And I and I'm not just saying, oh, Blino, go be a volunteer. I'm saying. Go be in relationship with the work and in relationship with the people who are also working and together through kinship and through shared love, we're all stronger. We're all safer. And we all are, um, I think, in greater peace. Mm. Thank you so much for joining us today, Severin, and for all you do. And if um, you want to follow Severin, you can find her on Instagram, at the Greenhorns, or on Twitter, at Greenhorns. Um, please follow her and follow the direction today. Thank you, Severin. Much love. You are listening to Code Pink Radio coming to you through Pacifica Radio's WPFW in Washington, D.C. and WBAI in New York City. Happy Christmas, Kyoko. Happy Christmas, Julian. So this is Christmas And what have you done Another year over And a new one just begun and so this is Christmas I hope you have fun The near and the dear ones The old and the young A very Merry Christmas And a Happy New Year
Welcome back. That was John Lennon and Yoko Ono and Happy Xmas War is Over. They released that song in 1971 and were joined with the Harlem Community Choir. So we just heard from Severin von Scharner Fleming about how we can plant seeds of peace as we engage in rising gardens with One Billion Rising and women across the world. So I'm really excited to introduce you to our next guest. Kelly is a local peace economy organizer with Code Pink based in Oakland, California. But she is an author, a publisher, a relationship builder, and a social justice activist. She utilizes her love of writing, storytelling, and sharing healthy living foods to create powerful on the ground shifts of consciousness and to build community globally. Kelly began her career by editing and publishing Freedom Rag in Chicago, Illinois. This groundbreaking hip hop publication was a quarterly cultural arts journal developed to um, devoted to arts and letters of the African diaspora. She segued to bringing conservatory level arts programming to the children of New York City Parks and Recreation Centers in Harlem. Through this program, Kelly brought world renowned musicians, scholars, painters and activists to share their craft. She also collaborated with the kids to plant the first children's garden in Harlem and supported them in publishing their own annual magazine. She continued this trajectory by delivering similar programming to the children of farm workers and homeless children in Southern California via Li the Living Love Foundation, where she acted as Director of Programming and Development. Now we find Kelly in the Bay Area where she's joined forces with food giants, people's grocery and planting justice to really cultivate a local peace economy in East and West Oakland. She has um, Tesla, the electric smoothie lab apothecary, but I'm gonna let her tell us more about what she's doing in Oakland. Kelly, your life has been dedicated to building a peace economy and nurturing relationships. What have you learned? Um, wow, thank you for reading that brilliant introduction. <laughs> when you read it, I'm like, wow, that person sounds sweet. Um, so thank you. It's, I love the way you read it. Thank you so much. Um, what I've learned is, is that uh, surprisingly, um, how difficult it is kind of to follow your heart and do work that builds uh, constructively with community because everything that we have, we have set up basically in, um, you know, the West is around, you know, making money um, and so, and, and being successful and like really following the drive for the ego. So when you start doing work in community in order to uh, support and grow uh, when people have been, um, I don't say people are margin, people are marginalized, people are being forced into marginalization, you know, so, so my dream for the work that I do is that I can walk away at some point, and people can, uh, you know, move forward with um, what I've, what I've shared, and in, in this moment, it's a, a smoothies, green smoothies, we actually take green smoothies out to community, we make them, we demonstrate making them, we make them, we share them, it's always free, which is, um, in accordance with the laws of nature, which is, you know, on our planet, the earth gives us this amazing abundance, especially here in a Mediterranean climate in uh, the Bay Area. 
you know, you walk down the street, there's lemons, there's growing, there's greens growing in people's gardens and that kind of thing. So really, my idea was just be an engine to kind of demonstrate here, put these things together and make a smoothie. But what I found is the difficulty of actually moving this through. Um, we have great success on our project, but the leaving it behind is, is difficult just because, um, you know, folks are, are, are wanting to either monetize the projects or not knowing, um, other folks not knowing how to just leave it behind and, and, and keep it moving. So um, the only thing that we really have to build on, I think, is our hearts. And that's something that I've really, that, that I've found that's demonstrated over and over and over again. We have to build on our hearts. That's the main thing. And also my work really um, is interstitial because it's demonstrating that bridge of taking the nutrition, which is just, you know, a symbol. It's almost symbolic. Take this for free as nature gives it. And that's like really the hard, like learning curve for a lot of folks. They're not learning curve, but a remembrance because all of our systems are built up in, in competition and showing us how to, you know, get something back for what we give as opposed to giving like, you know, um, nature does. So that's been something that I'm just, and it's solstice today. It's, tw it's, sol it's no December 21st, 2020. So like even right now, like in speaking to you and, and observing my work and looking back at the year and the years past and moving forward with this project, which I want to us to eradicate, you know, this hunger piece um, by 2025. A quarter of Oakland's children go to go to bed hungry at night, and so I'm I'm like, what is the piece that's missing? Where we have all this food growing on trees, it's an amazing food system here. Why are a quarter of our our our, our city's children going to bed hungry? And so it's the tapping back into the heart that is the real work, and allowing people to do that in order to be able to share. So it's not charity. You know, it's not, it's not a charitable situation. It's like, no, this is actually where we all need to be going. And you're the one who showed me that that's a local peace economy. We're building a local peace economy. So when you say tap back into the heart, when some people try to tap back into the heart, there's a lot of pain there. And um, so uh, sometimes tapping back in the heart takes some patience and care and love. How do you, how do you experience that? Well, um, what I found is, you know, it, it really feels like it's a science and that's the surprising part of it. Um, there's a lot of wounds. We've really been wounded. We've really been, as a nation, I mean, we've been wounded. Um, I was born in 1969, I guess 10 years or so after I was born, when Reagan came into office, there was essentially an all out full, out, full on assault on communities, projects, um, you know, free programs that were supporting education, there's a huge investment in the war economy, not just in literally missiles and bombs, but on the ground here, the crack epidemic, flooding our communities with drugs, flooding our communities with, you know, with, with guns and cutting off programs that would help develop a higher consciousness. So um, without realizing, without knowing it, my work since the time that I started off in doing Freedom Rag has been creating that little homegrown bridge back to love back to um, that beautiful zone of imagination, like doing what I did in Harlem with the garden and just, but always following that drum beat, which I didn't, there was no trajectory for it. It was just kind of like doing it because I felt it was right. And then also trying to maintain my own economic stability. I mean, it's not easy. Um, so I arrive at this place, I'm 51 as of a couple of weeks ago. And um, because of my education with um, like, like organizations like yours, like with Code Pink 
and other um, like folks who are just activists from the heart and soul, I realized that we have to heal the heart. We have to be patient with one another. We have to, you know, allow for those spaces. Like you always say to me, like before, you know, sometimes prepping me to go to the meetings, you're like, Kelly, everyone doesn't have to be like best friends, but at least be able to sit down for a little while, figure out what the issues are in community and commit to building from there. And that is the, the in-between tone that I think uh, transactionalism kind of like pulls away from us. You know, like why would you show up in a room where, you know, I don't really like these people. I wouldn't necessarily hang out with them, but we all want to make sure there's, there's greens growing in this community. So for two hours a week, we're going to work together and we're going to make sure this happens. So it's kind of like, um, like strengthening that muscle again, strengthening all the arteries that go to that muscle to build the heart, strengthening everything around it. And also, and this is what I'm facing today is like stepping out into the unknown of, you know, into the unknown, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're literally stepping out into a new year um, where we're like, yo, what's gonna happen? Like wh what's our world gonna look like? And I, I feel butterflies, I'm excited. It's solstice, so there's actually a vibration in the air that's intoxicating, but it's also through the intoxication, like, man, this is real. Like we've really been on lockdown. <laughs> off and on for like almost a year now, you know? And so the, the, the piece of that, I think, is that we, we um, the, 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 the gem of that is that we've had to face ourselves. And in facing ourselves, it's like, well, who are my friends? Who are these people who are in my life? Who am I community building with? Who am I, a, a few of my friends are, are, are moving into transitioning out of body. And it's almost like, who are the people around them taking care of them? Who do, they, who do they have that they can trust? I mean, these are all real, deep, serious questions. And through local peace economy, it's really weird. I feel like I've downloaded this science that helps me deal with, um, have kind of answers for those things in a path. So I don't go crazy. <laughs> I don't go crazy. Maybe you can help our listeners know well, what are some of those things that help you? Um, you're right. Um, first of all, we always live in a mystery. And what's interesting is that we think we've been convinced we can control it. Yes. We, don't, we don't analyze what the prices of those controls are. Mm -hmm. um, we've decided that uh, we want that being lazy is a, is a virtue instead of the cost of what that is. You know, I think that's probably something you know. It's just like so much more fun to be engaged, to be learning who you are. Like, part of being in a community is to learn who you, you yourself are, right? Because the community reflects a much bigger you back to yourself because um, you, you get to be seen in all the facets that you are. And um, for some reason, we've decided to limit ourselves to as small as we can be so that we don't have to deal with all the parts of ourselves. But a community helps us fall in love with different parts of ourselves, find acceptance for parts of ourselves. So when you say it really is the love, it's the community that brings us back into that cycle of love, that cycle of acceptance and of not only acceptance, but celebration. Like mm -hmm. as you talk about lives in transition, life is a celebration. This is a blessing. Right. And somehow we've gotten away from celebrating this mystery that we've been invited into, that we have an invitation to create in, and instead we like lock ourselves down in the war, the war economy that we've agreed to, locks us up 
locks us down into all these boxes um, that we're not sure we want to be free from because now we don't even haven't even exercised those muscles of what is it to be in community or what is it to be related to the earth and nature and the, and the, the mystery. So you somehow have had the courage, um, which is heart, um, to explore the mystery and not get locked up into boxes and know that that's just not where home is for you. Um, so you're able to observe people more who are locked in boxes and have your compassion for them, but you're also able to observe those who are at the mercy or at the violence of the boxes that people decide to lock themselves up to. So you, you get to watch both. You have an interesting chair that you get to look at the world from. And I think, you know, I've watched that inspire your work. But, you know, maybe let's just, instead of, you know, telling the audience what they would do, what are you going to do with the mystery next year? You know, what are, what, you know, what, what are the lessons you learned this year? And you already knew what was essential, which is what people learned. You already had that one down. But what was what I didn't know was, you know, um, the thing that really ignited me at the turn of the la of 2020 was um, the pandemic hitting and then the news media telling people that um, there was nothing they could do. Like you can't, you know, um, and look at looking at what the virus is and the parts of the body that it impacts and that kind of thing. And so just dealing with nutrition every day uh, from a material to material perspective, but then there's also the spiritual perspective of it. So living greens and, you know, um, herbs, a lot of our work is plant medicine, like taking back plant medicine. The thing that ignited me was getting this medicine to people who were being told um, there's nothing you can do, like actually blending smoothies, green smoothies with ginger and with, um, you know, moringa. We have a person who is an amazing farm out in Africa. He donates us pure pristine moringa. We got that into the jars. Um, with uh, beautiful fruits and pineapple sage and cinnamon to make sure it has like a nice little shelf life on it and got it out. So that was um, demonstrative, but it's also here we are showing up, not knowing whether it was going to work or not, like if we would be accepted. And people were so excited and so happy and so wonder filled that these beautiful little jars showed up, you know, on that day in response because the food lines are diminishing. You know, you have moms and, you know, grandmas and people who were afraid and who are, who are really in the matrix, maybe on another rung and can't just say, oh, we're going to go and take care. And plus you're hearing on the media, there's nothing you can do. But the thing that really tripped me out was that all the mechanizations around me uh, and a lot of the organizations, like you said, I really got to see who was who and how people were showing up. So a lot of the not-for-profit people, they closed down. They just stopped doing what they were doing. They stopped showing up. But I'm like, yeah, because I'd been to the border, you know, with you all um, not so much, you know, not so long ago. And so when I was looking at what was happening, the Mexican border. So when I was looking at, you know, the bread lines here in um, Oakland, as well as the tent cities and all that kind of thing, I'm registering like, this is no different from what I experienced down, you know, in Tijuana. Um, but the really funny thing was, is that a lot of people around me, were didn't know how to move forward they didn't know they weren't so i just continued doing what i knew how to do which was get the food out there get the nutrition out there and then i would see the other kind of soldiers who were out there as well so that's another layer of like you know um folks who are 
And I don't want to say committed. Um, I want to say know that they can do. Like once you show up, you can do. But 80% of it is showing up. You know, if I had just shown up a bottled water, they would have been happy. The other piece of it is when you do show up and you know that you can do, whatever spark that you are emitting is going to transfer to those people who are so thankful and so grateful. And it's not just for what you're putting in their, their hand. It's for the fact that they matter, they care. It's an affirmation of a love that moves beyond, you know, the body. It moves beyond, you know, this realm. It's an, from that angelic realm. When you're there, it's like a firefighter bristling your house, like, we're here to get you, you know what I mean? And you can live some more, you know? So what you're describing is planting seeds of peace in the hearts of people who've been, you know, battered by the war economy. You're basically... So there's two ways to plant seeds of peace. There's to plant a garden, um, a, a, a rising garden with uh, one billion rising and code pink this year, or there's planting seeds in the hearts of those that the structures of the war economy have battered. Yes. And, you know, I am. I live in Venice, and we have 15,000 homeless people in my in a community that I, you know, can w literally walk to. And um, it is interesting to figure out. It's like, and I try to tell my neighborhood, we live the lives we live because they live the lives they live. The war economy structure demands homelessness to function. It's like part of the functioning. So, um, you know, until we can stop the war economy, we have to be building bridges between the peace economy and those that are literally suffering the consequences of the war economy and, and literally suffering. So I, I love what you're saying because it's literally like, well, then how do I, if I'm not planting a garden, how do I plant seeds of peace in the hearts of those that this structure that we live inside of literally batters every day. Um, so you have found that by making green smoothies. Other ways that you, you've witnessed that, that can plant a seed. And I love the way you say that it's just showing up, that there's the sparkle in your heart touches the sparkle in, and there's and ignites it. That's and just showing up, if, if everybody could just listen, it's the showing up, which is an interesting thing to say when we're told to lock ourselves down right now. Um, yeah. I show up every day and everyone in my life freaks out and I say, what do you want me to do? Look at what's happening in the street. It's like, you have to, I can only be home. I can only shut my door behind me if I have offered something today. Yeah, well, what, it's funny because what happens is, um, so I've been training people on the ground to do the smoothies, and so I wasn't always necessarily behind the booth. Like, you work yourself out of a job, everyone's trained, and I'm kind of on the sidelines. But when they kind of went away um, at the holiday time and some other things had happened, and I started blending again, like being that person, the feeling that you get from actually just like, I mean, I took my cooler out last week and distri I distribute every Wednesday. It fills you up so much. It's like someone just, <laughs> opens up the head and pours all this love into you because people are so excited and now they're used to seeing us and they're looking for us and before I can even get my cooler to the spot they're like yo yo give me a smoothie before you know before all those other people <laughs> line up and so I'm passing out smoothies on the way and I don't turn anyone away so wait till you know the line starts but that 
Um, and scientifically, this is proven that once your heart is so like on fire with all this love and gratitude, gratitude, come on, man. I mean, it, it's healing. That's all I can say. It's healing at a cellular level. The, like, the amount of love that I feel and that, um, you know, people casting doubt or ask what their fear, there's a lot of fear in the field right now, obviously, with, with good reason. But that love and that assuredness, I have someplace else to be another couple days, which is to go make more smoothies and go source and everything. It's an engine, it revs up and it protects me, period. And I think these are the pieces moving into 2021 that we really planting seeds for peace. Yes, a smile, just smiling at someone and saying hello. That's one, I mean, anyone from anywhere can do anything to make the world better and plant these seeds that you're talking about. And I, I'm gonna steal, I love that, planting seeds of peace, I love that. That's what we're doing. I didn't know that's what it was, like I didn't have no way to encapsulate it, but that's perfect, that's beautiful, and it's real. And what you've described is it plants a seed of peace inside of yourself when you do it. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's the, and people say this, that there's, you know, giving is great, but what you get back just from, you know, I mean, there's no greater joy that I have seeing like, I'll run into somebody downtown the same day who's got one of my little smoothies, our little smoothies in their buggy with their baby and they're pushing it. You know, maybe someone's given it to them or, you know, or they took it. I just, it's amazing to see people with the nourishment and they're carrying that, you know, in their body. But also I know not just the matter material smoothie, which is great, but the love they're carrying that love and they're going to that's that's either chipping away at whatever bitterness is inside of them or they're going to simply share that and that's the truth about love it keeps giving what a great way to end start 2021 with a commitment to plant seeds of peace you can learn more at codepink.org backslash peace economy or just google peace economy and code pink reach out to us. We are here to help. You've been listening to Code Pink Radio, coming to you from Pacifica Radio's WPFW in Washington, D.C. and WBAI in New York City. Joyous holiday wishes. Spread the love. It leads to peace. Peace.
they curtail our speech, our movement, our rights, but we won't give up. We're about to fight with the wave of the flag, our liberty shake. They say code fear, we say code pain. With the wave of the flag, our liberty shake. They say code fear, we say code pain. Code Rumsfeld. We say-